On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we have a great show for you today. Scott Urquhart from the Hamilton Network on Cable 14 is joining me to talk about all kinds of things. And you know what? Scott brings insight and intelligence and interesting opinions on everything. Stick around. You're going to enjoy it. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It is time for what we like to call the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. Want to bring in a good friend of ours. We love having him on here because he always brings insight and opinions and intelligence and all kinds of other stuff. His name is Scott Urquhart. He is one of the co-hosts of the Hamilton Network on Cable 14. Sir, how are you this evening? I'm well, thanks, Scott. Yeah, the, the, the line that we started with about the porno mags, that was no reflection or anything to do with you. That was a complete <laughs> fluke, just so people know. Was, I'm glad to hear that because I, I was concerned, <laughs> i got to say. <laughs> you know, we, the music starts at certain places, and every once in a while you go, well, that was an interesting lyric spot for where it could start. <laughs> yes, no, yeah. not, nothing there. People at home, read nothing into that lyric. That was just a fluke. Uh, but the song, though, Scott, about fighting for your right to party, let's dive right into stuff. we got so much stuff to get to today okay. that I want to dive right into it because I, you probably heard about this story that was in the paper today about this house party in Stony Creek. Something like, what was it, 200 people yeah. there or some ridiculous number. 150 people, apparently, were at this house party in Stony Creek at an Airbnb. And the police show up and they all flee and there's no tickets or anything. And a lot of people now are saying, well, wait a second. How can you just let everybody go? What do you, what do you, I mean, first of all, let, let's, let's, in these days, even if you don't believe in COVID as a good citizen, I think your responsibility is not to do stupid stuff like this, but be, <laughs> like just, so, but beyond that, the, the idea that nothing is going to happen to these people, what do you, what do you take from that? Well, I, I'm kind of mixed on that. Um, for for one, on one hand, I'm sure the police did not have adequate resources to uh, to deal with a crowd of that size when, when they showed up. Not at um, three in the morning or something like that. No. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's 150 people there. Um, probably what? Maybe four, four to six officers responding originally. Two, two, two. Yeah. So. I, I can see that it's going to be way more trouble for them to try and start taking names and stopping people uh, than it is to just say, hey, this is more than we can handle and uh, and letting the people go. And it, it's probably uh, in some ways good that they disperse uh, rather than all stay in a, in a crowd around the house. On the other hand, if there's no consequences for this kind of behavior, Who's to say it's not going to happen again and again? Yeah. It, the first thing I thought of when I heard about this, and I don't know if you'll recall this story from back in the summer, was that uh, in, in the Silver City parking lot in Ancaster when they had that car show, car, car rally, club yeah. rally that all showed up. And the police showed up and everybody kind of took off and there were no tickets there. And I said then, and I'm going to say the same thing now, I don't want to second guess the police because I'm not there. I'm not one of two officers dealing with 150 mm-hmm. people. I but even if you had grabbed one or two people to give one or two tickets just to show, you know, you may win the lottery and get away, but you may also, there's at least a chance you're going to lose the lottery and face a huge ticket. I would have, that I would have liked to have seen happen. Yeah, I, I can agree with you there. Um, as you say, you don't want to second guess the officers. I have no idea what all they had on their hands. 
you know, what communications they were having with Central or with the Mountain Station, whichever. Um, they may have been instructed, for all we know, to just stand by and uh, hang on. Um, so I don't want to second guess them. But uh, I, I hear what you're saying. You, you know, at least grab somebody, you know. We see it all the time, Scott, don't we? We see it like if you're driving along the street and there's a speed, a radar gun, a speed trap out, they don't stop every single person. They pick someone, but it serves the purpose of sending the message. Well, that could have been me. And if you're the one unlucky person, you're like, oh man, I got stuff. But, but your defense, there's no defense in court when you walk in there. If you've got a ticket to say, yeah, I was doing 130 in a hundred zone, but so was everybody else. I mean, that's not so, so to have grabbed one or two people, if each, if each officer had grabbed one person and said, sorry, it's your unlucky day today. Now you're right. I mean, they may have received instructions. This may have been their marching orders to say, no, don't do anything in a circumstance like this. And again, I don't want to be second guessing, but I like to think that these situations, you can at least send a message if someone gets nailed. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. But as I say, who knows what, what's going on? And from what we understand, people are, are, you know, bolting out of this house. Um, you don't want to get stirred up and have one or two people, angry people, start taking on, you know, sure. the police. You know. So, yeah, I, I can understand why they just stood back and said, get out of here, go home, go somewhere, not together, you know. But, uh, yeah, it is disappointing because, as I said before, if there's not some penalty for this, if some people don't pay the price for, for this kind of behavior, it just encourages it to continue. Now, again, I'm not a police officer. And so, uh, you know, I, the second guessing, it, this isn't a second guess. This is a question. Rather than going to the door and knocking on the door and dispersing it, apparently there were all kinds of cars all over the road that were going in. Could you not have taken down license plates? And then as people started coming out, saying, okay, they came out of the house, that license plate, we, and we'll, and do something. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I hate the idea that you, that people get away scot-free, pardon the no, pun, with two Scots on the show today. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. And um, as you say, going up and pounding on the door may have been uh, imprudent to begin with. Maybe they should have, if they'd seen so many cars, just called in and said, hey, we may need some uh, some assistance here and see if they could call up a couple of units and perhaps have a couple of them block the end of the street. But now, now you're, you've got everybody milling around. Who knows how many... Who knows what happens. Can... Exactly. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Scott, there is a lot of discussion going on in different countries around the world right now. Israel is moving very much towards this. Nordic countries are beginning to push towards this. Uh, The European Union is talking about it. It's the idea of a vaccine passport uh, that you will need in order to get around now to show that you've had your COVID vaccine. Is this a good idea or is this something that is maybe the cracking open of a door into something a little... 1984 George Orwellian. <laughs> I, I kind of think it's a it's a hopeful idea. I think uh, it's an idea that uh, many many countries would like just try and revive their tourism industries. But at the same time, uh, the verification process of, of this, the standardization uh, of uh, verifying who's been inoculated, when you know where they're coming from, where they're going to, all that sort of thing, is is a nightmare. 
of uh, monumental proportions. I don't think it could be done well and safely. And so my feeling is, yeah, maybe not. I, I really worry about, I, I really worry about governments when they get, no government gets power and then ever gives it back. We don't ever see that. <laughs> You're and, absolutely right. Yeah. And so when you do, if you do something like this and you say, okay, now we've got our COVID passport that you need, then, you know, I, I know some people will say, you know, you and your slippery slopes and you and your whatever, I worry what the next step is that if you show, if the population has been, will, the populace has been shown to be willing to accept something like this, that this yeah. moves into something else and then something else and then something else that, that really does worry me that, that if we start giving away freedoms to move around because look you're 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 right about the difficulty with this it's not going to be a perfect system ever there are people who can't take the vaccine for health reasons there are people who surely even though you or i or both of us may think you know don't be an anti-vaxxer or whatever else there are people for whatever real honest to goodness deeply held philosophical reasons are opposed to this and that should be in my mind they're right i don't agree with them but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I get really worried when we start getting things like this, more and more controls over people and where they can go and what they can do. So the next uh, step in, in your view is papers, please, basically. Uh, is it, is it, I mean, is it really, I mean, I know it's not the same thing and papers, please has a much more dire and malicious and scary and historically horrendous connotation to it. But it's kind of a, it's in the same postal code, kind of, is it not? Well, I, or could, I or could be, it not be? I, I hate to be, you know, the cynical uh, Danny Downer here, but uh, Scott, honestly, I think we're already past that. I think government surveillance on individuals is so advanced, and mm. we are not even aware of how advanced it is. But it's so advanced that the papers please thing is is uh, akin to uh, a stone wheel these days. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, think... you're right. You're right. Sadly, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we're way past that uh, now, especially as as you know, uh, you sit in your living room, you talk about, uh, gee, I got to get uh, spring tires for tires in the spring for my car. All of a sudden, all kinds of tire ads start popping up on your iPad <laughs> yeah. or your uh, Android phone or whatever, uh, and you think they're not listening. You, you think your voice doesn't make it back to some source somewhere, and that starts to roll out ads that you're thinking about things you're thinking about. Um, I, yeah, I think we're way beyond that, and so uh, I'm not so much concerned uh, about the. Uh, you know, government control, because I think that ship has sailed, unfortunately. But my bigger concern with this passport issue is it won't stop uh, the, the infections around the world. It will not uh, do anything to slow or, or halt this pandemic completely. Let me go back for a second, because you're probably right about the second part too. But w when you said we're well past that, you know, this week in the House of Commons, there was a vote about whether or not to declare what the Chinese government is doing to the Uyghur people, a genocide. And how we tie these two things together, if you ever read about what the people in that part of China are dealing with as far as cameras and facial recognition technology and all these other things, I mean, it is big brother beyond what you can imagine. 
And again, I'm not suggesting that if we suddenly have a COVID passport, that the next step is going to be where you can't leave your apartment without being followed everywhere. But my sense is let's stay as far away from those things as we possibly can. Well, I've done a little bit of reading uh, in on this uh, just basically, Scott, and it's not just the Uyghur people. Um, the society, the Chinese society these days, is the most surveyed and watched, openly watched society in the world. And it's now part of gaining or losing social capital there. Yes. So if you're a good citizen and you do things uh, that you're supposed to do, according to the government, you gain social capital. And, uh, you know, you're in line for promotion, you might get it. You're looking for a job, you might get it. You're looking for a new apartment, you might get it. And the opposite is true as well. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Scott, just before the break, and I want you to pick it up, you were talking about the social capital idea. Some people for sure are going to know what that is. Other people aren't really probably as clear. Explain how that works there. Well, if you're a good citizen, Scott, and you do what you're supposed to do in China, and this is open. I mean, the citizens of China know this exists, and many of them approve of it, uh, which is mind-boggling to us in the West, but it makes sense to them because it, it creates and keeps an orderly society there. So if you're good and you follow the rules, uh, you get points, sort of. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, if you want that job, you might get it. If you want a promotion, you might get it. If you want an apartment, you might get it. The converse is you also can lose that social capital and you will not get an apartment. You will not get a job. You will not get a loan. You will not get the right or the license to operate a business. Um, to the point where it has literally left tens of thousands of people unemployed and homeless. And and, uh, and when you yeah. say good citizen, you know, okay, so the, the initial thought when you hear that is, okay, so if, as long as you're not somebody, you know, doing what we talked about a couple segments ago, having a stupid house party with 150 people, great. But it's, the problem with it is it goes way beyond that because it could be good citizen is defined by the government, the leadership. Right. And so criticizing the government, while we might say here, well, that's your right. Well, that would certainly count against you in social capital points. So you, the government has essentially made a system where it can ensure perpetual power because no one can possibly stand up against it lest they lose their job, their home, all their other rights. Absolutely right. And, and that seems mind-boggling to us. It seems like a, a complete anathema, but I don't think we're necessarily that far away from that uh, society here in the West. Um, you know, the genie is out of the bottle, basically, as we were talking about, uh, you know, government surveillance and, and uh, how we're, our electric, electronic devices are, are a portal to what we're saying and thinking a lot of the times these days. Um, that genie is out of the bottle. The question is, how do you put it back? Well, the, the only way you might be able to put it back is through violent revolution. And no thanks, I'm not there. No, but there is one other way that we still do, unlike some places like China, we still do have one different option. We still have a an option. We can turn off the, the location thing in our phone. We can take the Google Minis or the Alexas out of the house. We can, here we still, for, for to some degree anyway, can still remove ourselves from that grid. There's one other very important weapon involved in that as well, Scott. 
and that's called a ballot. And we still have yes. the right, we still have the right to use that in this uh, country and uh, in the West, and we should use it, and we should use it forcefully uh, to perhaps curb some of these behaviors, perhaps control some of these social media companies like Facebook, like Amazon, uh, and start to put some regulations in place that control, that curb their power to invade our lives. But, and this, let's, let's swing right back now to where we started with this, with the vaccine passport, because I agree exactly with what you said. Use the ballot. If a government is trying to overstep or overreach, we have an opportunity at the ballot box to change that government. But I don't believe that you very often see any government willingly relinquish power. A gov- Look, it, whether it's taxes or anything else, you know, when we had the GST come in, I can't even remember, but the next government said, well, we're going to get rid of that. No, you're not. No, once you're in power, you don't give back controls that you have over the people that just doesn't happen and so even if you vote that government out who said we're going to have this vaccine passport because we don't like it the next government is unfortunately in all likelihood not going to get rid of it that's just not the the standard way they do business no no i I hear what you're saying um but i I disagree to some extent I, i think the one thing governments like of any story is being in power Yes. And if, if you threaten that, if you say, no, you're not going to maintain power, you're not going to stay in power, if you pursue this course, at the very least, it's likely to modify their behavior. Um, and in some cases, it, it deters them from doing things that you think are stupid. And, you know, we, we've seen that case uh, here in Canada on, on many occasions. Um, and I think we're seeing it again here in Ontario as the the Ford government is starting to feel real pressure not to build the uh, 413 highway, the 413 Mm. highway up the west side of Toronto. And they're starting to feel real pressure about uh, the restrictions they're putting on the green belt and on conservation areas. And uh, we may see some uh, backtracking on that. We've seen politicians backtrack before. What one thing I would now about the so some people are listening and saying, Yeah, but what about the idea of having how do we then control or know if anyone has had their vaccine? I, I, I am okay with the concept of having, like you do when you go to get your yellow fever, if you're going to travel and you have to have some sort of inoculation, to have a handwritten piece of paper that is in place just until COVID is done. And then those things can be torn up and thrown away, unlike something put into the system online on your phone or something. If you've got something that's very temporary, that's not tied in again to the grid or the computer system, and it just shows, you know, for the next number of months that I've got it and so I can do whatever, I, I, I would be kind of maybe okay with that. But anything that starts getting into a database, no thanks. Well, I, I hear you, but the, uh, the obvious problem with that is, um, can those things be forged? How can they? Well, uh, yeah, always, Scott, we got to run. There's always, you're right. Of course you're right. There's always going to be problems. And who knows that the doctors or whomever gives the injections don't put it into the system anyway. I get it. I understand. I just, the, the, uh, you hear about these extra layers of bureaucracy and it's like, mm, always get nervous when we start talking about these kind of things. Yeah. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. 
here's a story that uh, that I saw, and boy, uh, you know, my reaction to this was uh, was pretty visceral on this one. So I'm going to not even give you what my reaction was. I'm going to let you decide on this one first. I'll jump in, but it's a story about a British woman uh, who, when she was younger, she decided of her own volition to leave Britain, go over to Syria to join ISIS and marry an ISIS fighter. And now a few years have gone by, and I guess life is not quite as glorious as she may have thought it was going to be. Uh, her citizenship, by the way, her British citizenship was stripped when she decided to do this because of the terror threat. She's now realizing maybe things aren't quite as good as I expected and wants to come back to Britain and get her citizenship back again. And Britain is saying no to that. Should she be allowed? Should we forgive and forget? We being Britain, should they forgive and forget? Or once you've made a decision like this, you know, you've made your bed, lie in it. Uh, well, let me let me answer that by talking about a similar parallel that I was discussing with, with my son, actually, today. Um, a 95-year-old man in the United States uh, from Connecticut, or from Tennessee, rather, is being deported back to Germany because... He was uh, a prison guard. Yes. Gang pressed. He's gang pressed by the Nazis into being a prison guard uh, when he was 19 years old, uh, fled afterwards, came to America and has lived here for 75 years. My son was, we should forgive and forget. My view was, mm, you, you, you know, you do the crime, you pay the time uh, sort of thing. Um, yeah, he knew. He knew when he fled. He knew when he was doing it, it was wrong. He knew when he fled, it was wrong. And so at some point, you got to own up and, and face the consequences of your actions. And I think that's the case with this young woman from Syria as well. It's unfortunate. It is sad. Um, but I, I perfectly understand the position of the British government here. You know, it's interesting. How old is your son? Uh, he is, I got to do the math now. He made me do the math. Uh, <laughs> he's twenty. 26, almost 26. Okay, so he's, he's because he, I wonder if there is a generational thing to this as well, not just with your son, not just with his position on a story like this, she would fall into that same age group, and I wonder if there is just a, a, a thought that in her mind that, you know, why wouldn't I be forgiven for this? You know, I've changed my mind, why wouldn't I get a second chance? And, you know, I think for a long time now, we have done... Um, I, I don't know, is maybe done a disservice by not, by being, I mean, forgiveness is great. Uh, forgiveness is wonderful, but there is also a consequence. You know, you can forgive someone and still hold them to a consequence. Forgive and forget is a different, is a different thing than forgive. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there are compassionate circumstances always where people deserve second chances. Uh, but as you say, there should be consequences for some actions and uh, you should be, if you've, you know, violated the trust of, of people or violated uh, the code of humanity in the case of, of the Nazi prison guard, um, then I, yes, I think you should face the consequences. Well, we just had the, the, the situation this week or last, I can't remember now, the driver, that driver in, uh, was it Markham who was drunk and killed the, three children and the grandparent and, and 
was given full parole in the last few days and people were outraged by this. And the reason was because, well, you didn't, you served so little time for this. And I, I am not capable of judging his soul. That's not something that I'm in a no. position to be doing. So when he says that he is tr- terribly sorry, you know what? I will, as a rule, if you say you are truly terribly sorry, I will accept you at face value unless there's some reason to really believe you're lying. But that doesn't mean you should get out of your penalty ahead of time. I appreciate your sorrow, your 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 sadness for what you did, your repentance for what you did, but there remains a need, I think, for you, for that that penalty doesn't go away. The consequence doesn't go away. That's what this seems to be, that I'm sorry, so forget everything I've done, and let's just pretend it never happened. Yeah, there absolutely has to be a balance, Scott. You're right. Um, you know, what is a fair penalty to pay? And like you say, even, even though you're, I'm sorry, uh, truly, deeply, honestly, to the bottom of my heart, sorry, and remorseful for my actions, um, okay, that's great. And when you're out of jail in another five years or so, uh, we hope you continue that attitude right. to improve your life. You know? Right. How would this, how would that work? How would that work if somebody went to court before they were even convicted and were charged with some horrible crime and said, you know, your honor, I did it, but I'm truly, truly sorry. Is the judge then supposed to say, well, if you're sorry, okay, go ahead. <laughs> Just leave. No, that's not how our system is allowed or can function. That could never work that way. Yeah, I I think there are compassionate circumstances in some cases, extraordinary cases perhaps. Yes. But there are compassionate circumstances in some cases where that might be justifiable. Um, But overall, you're right. No, I, I think just saying, gee, I'm really sorry isn't enough in many, many cases. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Scott, we learned this week. Now, I think, you know, the people who created Twitter, uh, they've done okay for themselves, I suppose. They're, uh, they've, they've, they've figured out how to create something. Whether you love it or hate it, 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 it's popular. They now say that they are going to be testing a subscription feature so you can pay for Twitter now. Is there a day coming when Scott Urquhart is going to be willing to pay for Twitter? <laughs> Not a chance. Uh, it's available free now. And it, as you know, uh, you may, you may uh, have the same situation in, in your job. Uh, they like me at Cable 14 to tweet whenever I can and get on social media and say things. And I confess, I'm terrible. <laughs> I, I have Twitter only because I have to. And uh, I use it as, as little as I possibly can. Uh, I, I think it's pop- possibly one of the worst and most egregious social media uh, sites out there. And I have no real desire to participate in it. I, I share a lot of that. When the day comes that I retire, I think one of the first things I'll be doing is taking down my Twitter account because I, I feel more often than not that we live our life in a din. There is just such a, a, a constant din of noise and by noise, not just necessarily physical noise, but you know, all the stuff that's coming at us all the time. And the Twitter feed is just a constant drumbeat of more noise and more shouting and more anger and more vitriol. And, you know, whether it's the limit to the number of characters or just the easy ease because everyone's got their phone, 
I can very happily do without that. And to pay for that, that th- they're going to now say, I want you to pay to have more of this crap in your life. And when I say crap, I mean, most of it is crap. No, thanks. Yeah. Nope. Nope. No need at all. No, I, I'm with you there. And I think you're right, Scott. Uh, there is much too much background noise, static noise in our lives uh, that distracts us from actually living sometimes. And um, I, I think, we really do need to step back. And, and oddly enough, uh, this pandemic has, has given me a chance to do that uh, to some extent. I, I think other people as well to step back and say, well, why am I engaging with this stuff? You know, this, this is petty nonsense. And uh, all it does is make me upset and, and stress me out. So no, thanks. I, you know, I've pulled back uh, quite a bit from yeah yeah no a lot of people have i think a lot of people have and the shame of this is you know i don't want to make it sound like twitter itself is a problem twitter itself is a is a terrific technology it's a terrific thing used for you know for sharing stories for sharing videos of stuff you've done on your show for for sharing stuff that you know goes out there it's the it's the just ranting by people on there all the time or or my personal least favorite thing about twitter is that someone says something and all of a sudden you have to have the entire mob descend and you know just scream at people for stuff and there can be no conversation anymore about things someone says something that you or i may find offensive you know what, let's find out what they meant. Let's find if there was a nuance. Let's see if that was taken out of context. Let's, let's, but we don't, we, with Twitter, there's no time to do that because the second someone interprets something as offensive, the tweet avalanche starts and there's no way out of it. The pile on begins, right? Exactly. Exactly. And even if there is a context, you can't then undo it and go back and go, see, this is what I meant already. It's the damage is done. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And I think, um, apps like that and, and Twitter by, you know, let's be fair. It's not the only one out there uh, by a long think, stretch. I think apps like that um, have just hastened uh, the complete collapse of, of civil conversation and discourse. Um, it's hard to have a reasonable conversation with anybody who disagrees with you anymore, no matter how hard you try. And, and that is really, really unfortunate. It just makes our world much more difficult uh, to function. Well, 240 characters, you can't really have any context. You can't have any kind of nuance. It, you have capital letters, cap locks on with exclamation marks, and everyone just screams at everyone. And I mean, imagine if in a conversation, 240 characters would be about, you know, I don't know, 40 words. Imagine yeah. the conversation. You were only able to have a, your part of the conversation was 40 words long. Face-to-face, you're sitting with someone at a cocktail party, you're having coffee, and all you can say is 40 words. How how clear is your opinion on anything going to be if you have to restrict it to 40 words? And, you know, that's that's maybe a, a, an unintended consequence uh, uh, that befell the developers of Twitter. Um, I think they originally kind of meant it for things like, hey, we had our baby, you know. Or, right, you know things. Uh, just quick little notes out to people that you know and and uh, who are your friends. But human nature, <laughs> you know, is, is lowest common that, denominator. <laughs> human nature is such that it's being you know kind of uh, taken pirated for other means. 
and, yeah. and, uh, and it's really you know, unfortunate. And Scott, you're, you, the thing about it is we got to go to a news break here. It, there is value. Twitter does have positive things about it. You can do positive things on this or other social media sites. It's just, as you say, it's too often hijacked by the lowest common denominator. And then you just, you're so deafened by the din that you're like, ah, forget it. I'm out. And then, yeah. and then, you know, whatever positive comes from it is, is gone because we don't want it. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Scott Urquhart, co-host of the Hamilton network on cable 14, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, five o'clock plus reruns, just turn on cable 14 and there's a chance you're going to see him. That's how that works. It's, uh, it's good. He's lots and lots and lots of FaceTime on TV these days and, uh, and ear time on the radio, which we're very glad about. Yeah, I'm very glad too, Scott. Thank you very much. Well, let me throw this one at you. This is uh, this is one of those discussion points that um, that makes people, I think, a little bit bonkers. And and what makes them bonkers about it is it's not, I don't think, all that serious. But it's one of the things that people will just argue about till they're blue in the face. Harry Shearer, um, who I love best as the bass player in Spinal Tap but uh, probably is more well-known for doing a million different voices on The Simpsons. He um, is no longer going to be voicing Dr. Hibbert because Harry Shearer is white and Dr. Hibbert is black, and the decision has been made that it's not acceptable that he do that voice anymore. He's done it, I guess, since the show started. I don't know how long Dr. Hibbert has been a character, but the show has been around forever, so... Um, in, in years past when Harry Shearer was asked about acting and about these kind of challenging things, can a able-bodied person play a disabled person or can whoever play whoever? I mean, he, there's video of him saying, look, acting is all about playing someone you're not. No one who is an actor is just portraying themselves all the time. That's a documentary. So what do you think about the idea that now if you are white, you cannot play a black character? And I assume there are other things, although this one is front and center, obviously, right now. What about that idea? Well, let's face it. Cultural appropriation is uh, its a hot topic right now. And uh, Harry isn't the first one to, to uh, sort of been moved from a role on Simpsons and, and a voice that they had done for years. Um, now I, I forget the name of the character because I'm not a Simpsons fan, but the uh, uh, East Indian uh, owner of the uh, variety store that, uh, yep. well, you know, that character was also uh, sort of let go in a way. Um, uh, they stepped back from that because it too was voiced by a white actor. So, I mean, this is not really new for the Simpsons, but it's not really new in Hollywood either. And I understand what they're saying about actors portraying different people, people they're not all the time. Uh, I think we're into a new era where we have to say, okay, but could a black actor portray a black doctor? Yeah. Chances are they could. So why not? Yeah, and, and that's a valid point. Um, I think one of the arguments that they might say on The Simpsons is, well, look, we've got like four people that do most of the voices. So, and they do so many of them that they are on contract with us to do all these voices. Um, why bring more people in if we're already paying them? That, that may be an answer. The, I mean, another point you might make is that 
Bart Simpson, who is a boy in the show, is voiced by a woman. Yep. And, you know, so so do we now, do we now have to have people only voice or only play roles that they are? Can, can he, I mean, um, uh, who was it? Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis won an Oscar for In My Left Foot for playing a man with cerebral palsy. Should that role have not gone ultimately in retrospect to Daniel Day-Lewis, but to someone who had cerebral palsy. Is that, is that now the position that we would have that you must only play what you are? Well, I don't know if it's a position we had. And uh, to your point that, you know, I think it's Yeardley Smith, isn't it? That, that voices Bart. Uh, but that sort of role change goes back past Shakespearean times uh, when, uh, you know, young girls played women, or played men all the time and vice versa. So uh, I don't think that's really an issue. Um, but here's the question. And if you can find an actor who is capable of handling the rule of remembering the lines and delivering them uh, so that, you know, they're understood and what have you, should you necessarily disqualify an actor with cerebral palsy from playing that role? Uh, and I would say to that, absolutely not, absolutely not. But the, and again, it's like it's the two sides of the same coin. Should you disqualify someone from that? No, by no means. Should that per, should that should only a person who has cerebral palsy be able to play that role? Well, there's where the tricky part comes. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I really think it depends on the circumstance and the the ability. Uh, of whoever we're talking about to to adequately handle the role. Um, and from there, I think whoever is deserving of the job gets it. Yeah, and we've seen, uh, and this is not the first time recently, we've seen a couple cases specifically where there were, uh, I oh, who were the actors now? It was an actress, was it? Um, uh, anyway, I'll think of it in a second, where they were trans characters and it was... And and that blew up, and so the character, because there was an outcry, and the the famous actor Scarlett Johansson, I believe, was one of them who got caught in one of those, um, had to step back and say, "Okay, I'm not going to do this." Well, uh, yeah. it, it it is to me, it is really. Um, it, I don't want to disqualify anybody from being able to do it, and if you can do it, that would be tremendous. But it does seem that it sort of in some ways flies in the face of what acting is. If you say you must be that, whatever that is, whatever the character is that we're trying, you must be that or you can't play it. That, that, that seems to be eliminating what the entire craft of acting is. Well, I think at the very least, you got to throw open the door and say, we're looking for Asian characters. We're looking for disabled actors we're looking for black actors whatever uh you got to at least throw open the door and see if there is someone that is capable of handling the rule and if they are god bless them give them the job if you can find no qualified candidates that fit the criteria well then there's nothing wrong with going on to the next you know category what about, and let me throw one other wrinkle into this. What about the idea that film studios, t- well, film more than TV, although TV it can be, but film especially, the money that's involved in making and producing and marketing a film, 
you want to make sure people want to come to the theater. And so this has always been the way that you want big name, famous actors on the billboard. And so, you know what, there's a person who, again, let's use the Daniel Day Lewis, my left foot example, although boy, we're dating ourselves, Scott, because that goes yeah, back to like the nineties uh, now, are. but I, it's, I, I, it, didn't, I don't know anything about that movie. Tell me about it. <laughs> well, yeah. or, or, okay. There was one, what was the one that Brian Cranston was just in a couple of years ago oh. where he was in a wheelchair. Um, yeah. So, and you know, you may want to say, well, we need to have someone with name value, a big star who is on the billboard to sell this movie. And again, I mean, that's a, there's, that's a legitimate thing. I think if you're going to spend millions and millions of dollars to produce this, you want to get your money back. And if you think that Julia Roberts or George Clooney or someone in a role like that is going to do it. You know, well, these, you know, these are yeah. challenging, tricky things to throw in the mix. Absolutely. And you're, and you're right. I mean, it is all about money. It's always all about money. And, uh, you know, the producers are putting forward big dollars to make a movie and they want those big dollars back. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I don't have any problem with that. But I think at the same time, like I say, the least you can do, the, the bottom standard has got to be throw open the doors to, to those who would naturally uh, fit the roles and, and at least consider them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, and, and I think, you know, that, that's a, it's a very fair point and probably the entertainment industry has done a poor job of even reaching that standard. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially because, and I'll say this, um, you know, there's a joke in that, that I've heard before that says in television, there's never weather in television unless it's Christmas time and it's snowing. Right. So you, you never know that it never just snows in the background in a Christmas or in a TV show, just because, it snows. There's always got to be a purpose for it. Well, you never see a, or very rarely anyway, a disabled person in a TV show, unless there is a reason that you must have a disabled person in that character, right? You, you rarely just see someone who is there. There's always, that is specifically a role for a disabled person. So, I mean, that, that is an area where I think the film and, and the entertainment industry has fallen far short that you can have people just as part of the background or part of the roles or whatever, who don't necessarily have to have been written for someone in a wheelchair who potentially could be that. Well, yeah, uh, you make the point and you, and you mentioned Brian Cranston um, and Forgive me, Scott, but the, the name of the series that he did is just... Breaking horrible. Bad. Breaking Bad, thank you. Yeah, in Breaking Bad, his son was actually uh, disabled. He, he had the disability that he portrayed in that series, and he did a great job. Uh, that was enlightened of the producers to throw open the door and get an actor who could do that. So it's not like it's impossible to do. It's just not done uh, because it's more convenient to grab, as you say, name stars or people with recognition or, you know, people who know people rather than making an effort to make it equitable. Yeah. I mean, you're right. And, and go back and, you know, try when you're watching you, Scott, or the people listening, when you're watching TV tonight or over the weekend or whatever, I mean, look and see how many times you see someone who has some sort of disability or some sort of challenge that is in a show unless they are specifically needed for a particular role that way. And there, to me, there, there's where some of this all comes from. When you've never given opportunities 
there comes a point when people are going to say, well, why not? And, 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 you know, and, and this argument then becomes even more accelerated than, you know, than it might've otherwise been. Um, let's stay with entertainment for one sec. And although I don't know if this is really entertainment, nonetheless, a totally different topic. Do you have any interest whatsoever? Because we're about to be bombarded because Oprah's involved now and other interviews and stuff. Do you have any interest whatsoever in Prince Harry and Meghan? <laughs> um, it, it's amusing to me. That's all. It's peripheral amusement. Uh, do I hang on every word? Uh, do I, I really care? No, I do not. But I, it's an entertaining side diversion to me more than anything else. And uh, I don't know. Are you a fan of The Crown, Scott? Do you watch The Crown? I, I've watched The Crown. It's an excellent series. Yeah, it, it's yeah, excellent. It's re- very well produced. And, and it really does make you think about a different perspective from what it must be like inside to handle those uh, pressures and that uh, you know, all-encompassing sense of duty. Um, with everything that, that, that happens inside the family. Um, it no idea how accurate it is, but yes. Yeah, well, I think Harry himself said, uh, uh, was it yesterday? or Yeah, on James Corden's show, I think yesterday, he himself said that it does give you at least an idea, uh, a general sense of the kind of stuff that happens. So uh, there's an insider saying, yeah, it's not entirely, you know, bunk. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure it's not, you know, historically accurate by any means. It's entertaining, and uh, that's great. Whether Harry and Meghan, you know, start a life of their own in California and become, you know, hugely successful or not, whether the Queen takes them back as a royal uh, or not, I really don't care. Um, but yeah, I. I I know it's big business and big television, and uh, there are millions of people who are hanging on every word uh, that comes out about the royals. Here's the problem I have with this, and like I, I, I really, my level of interest in Harry and Meghan is, I don't want to say below zero. It's, it's really there's not much interest there. But here's what I don't get, and other people, this is not a unique thought. Others have had this. If the reason you left the royal family and left royalty and stepped away was because you said you wanted a life of privacy and normalcy and to be an everyday normal person, why in the world then are you seemingly doing everything possible to stay as much in the limelight as you can? (laughs) Yeah, that is the catch-22, is it not? (laughs) And and it, it seems as though... You know, and again, we don't know them. I said last hour, you can't judge their soul. I don't know, but it seems as though this is one of those things where, yeah, I don't want to have to do all the glad handing and line up and all the royal stuff, but boy, I really like the lifestyle that being a royal affords me. And I kind of do like the attention that all this affords me. I just don't want to have to do the stuff. And Honestly, I I do have high regard for Queen Elizabeth. I'm not, I wouldn't describe myself as a, you know, great monarchist, but when you look at her life and the duty and all the stuff she's done, I have great regard for what she has done. I too, I have great respect for her. And uh, I think she she has been a good queen. Uh, She made mistakes, have there been faux pas, have there been, you know, Who hasn't? She's still human. 
She's yeah. still a human being. She's the queen, but yeah, she's going to make mistakes. But I look at that and I go, you have, yeah, she's, you know what? She's not probably had to eat a happy meal at any point in her life. She's, <laughs> she's well looked after. She's got, you know, she's lived a, a glamorous life, but there's also a lot of stuff there that none of us would really want to do. Oh no. And I, I think, you know, it's, it looks to me from a distance, like Harry goes, I really like the whole palace thing. And I like the people serving us thing and the nice food thing and the glamorous party thing. I just don't like the other stuff that grandma had to do. I, I got a, a different read on that to some extent, Scott. Um, I, I think he was crushed when uh, the patronages concerning the military uh, were taken away from him because that was very important to him. He took that very seriously. And he showed up all the time to take care of those patronages. Um, that really bothered him. I think the thing he hated about royal life was constantly being under the microscope of the British press, especially the British press, uh, because you know, uh, to exaggerate is is just is daily fodder for for the the British press in many many cases, the tabloid press in Britain. Uh, and he, he said it was toxic. It was it was ruining his uh, sense of well-being and, and um, you know, driving him crazy, basically. And I could I could absolutely see that and understand. That. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so, OK, he wanted to step away from that. I don't think he necessarily wanted to step away from all the duties. I think he wanted to step away from uh, being scrutinized constantly for everything. I'm not old. I mean, I, again, I've watched the crown. So I, you know, I've been reminded of the history and I, I know, I know enough of the history to be able to loosely talk about it, but I wouldn't want, I wouldn't ever describe myself as an expert, but when Edward abdicated and stepped away from the throne, is it not the case that for the most part, he sort of disappeared into a private ish life? He wasn't front and center. Now, obviously, we didn't have the media we do and social media and everything else, but yeah. it's like he stepped away and all but disappeared, except for rare appearances. Yeah, and I think part of that was um, by command of the of the royal family. Um, he had disavowed the crown. Okay, you're out, buddy. And uh, certainly, Wallace Simpson was no favorite of, of the royal family. Uh, they're somewhat questionable ties to Nazi Germany mm. were certainly embarrassing at the very least. So I, I think they ostracized him. Uh, and no, he, he did disappear, but it wasn't entirely of his own making. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I say I, I, I don't know that I'm going to be tuning in to watch Oprah. Um, I don't know that I could <laughs> honestly deal with, you know, I... I but it is it is to me an oddity that uh, that he, that the request is for privacy and to live a normal life, and then one of the first things you do when you get settled down is buy a gigantic mansion, sign deals with Netflix, and sit down with Oprah. It's yeah, all right. No, I hear you. Yeah, I, there is something. Yeah, not quite kosher about that. You're right. Not something does not quite add up. But uh, you know, we'll we'll see what they have to say. And and here's the other thing. And we got to go. Uh, here's the other thing. One thing we know from the past twenty five or thirty years is that inter televised interviews with royals generally don't go well. <laughs> they look at the <laughs> Prince Andrew with his one with about the uh, the um, stuff that's going on. Yeah. Uh, 
we've got the the Princess Diana one was a disaster. The Prince Charles one was a disaster. A disaster. Yep. Um, you know, so if nothing else, there's a possibility that we'll have lots to talk about with a disastrous interview about what is going on behind the castle walls. Who knows? There's there's that to wonder about. Scott Urquhart, fantastic job. Always love having you on here. Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate your time tonight. No problem at all. I enjoyed it as well. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.